Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. I saw all the oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Way, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready? Live from the Metal Mayhem Studios in Rochester, New York. We are gold. And heard around the world by metalheads just like you. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Heavy metal music. Your weekly dose of metal music, interviews, album reviews, news, and more. Want to be part of the show? Send us a message through our website, MetalMayhemROC.com. Or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Search Metal Mayhem ROC. It's getting nice and heavy. Now, welcome our hosts, John the Vernomatic Verno and Metal Forever Mark. Good evening, everybody. I'm the Vernomatic, and welcome to this week's show. As always, brand new content drops every Thursday night. Visit the MetalMayhemROC.com website. There you'll find direct links to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, however you get your podcasting content. While you're there, download past shows. Last couple weeks, we've had Nigel Glocker of um, Saxon was on the show. Roy Z from Bruce Dickinson and Rob Halford's solo fame. We've done some debate shows with Metal Forever Mark and I. So, yeah, go to the drop-down box and check out some of the past product. While you're at the website, sign up for our weekly email newsletter. This is a way for us to stay in touch with you about show content, give you alerts about the Monday Night Live radio show that I host on thatmetalstation.com. And more importantly, it gets you automatically in the drawing for any merchandise or promos we give away every couple weeks, all these extras we get from publicists. So take care of all that at the website. Tonight's show's a good one. We have Jimmy K on the show. Jimmy is one of the founders of The Metal Voice. Now, The Metal Voice is a Canadian website, uh, YouTube channel. It's a metal connection. This year, they're celebrating their 10-year anniversary. They do one hell of a great job. If you're not familiar with them, after this interview, you're going to be a fan. They're a, they're a great outfit. Jimmy and Alan and the rest of the crew over there, they've really built a solid brand for themselves. And it's an honor to have them on the show today to tell us about how they got started. And he shares his Mount Rushmore of interviews, some tidbits on this and that. It's a fun interview. So that's what we have for tonight. My partner, Metal Forever Mark, he's in the Metal Lab putting together uh, research and interviews on future content. He'll be up in the studio in the next couple weeks. 
Tonight's show sponsor is Freedom X Hand Sanitizer. Hey, we may almost be vaccinated and we are tough metalheads, but even we need some extra protection out there. So we're going to hear from Freedom X and then we're going to talk with Jimmy K of The Metal Voice. For Metal Forever, Mark, I'm the Vernomatic. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. As always, we thank you for listening, supporting, and always remember, folks, keep it heavy. Hey, friends of the Metal Mayhem ROC podcast, Vernomatic here, inviting you to get those horns up and to join us live Monday night, 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern time for Metal Mayhem ROC Live. We crack the vaults open and play the best of the metal from the last 50 years. Get in a chat room, meet other bangers from around the world, send me a request, and I'll get it on for you. That's Metal Mayhem ROC Live with me, the Vernomatic, Monday nights, 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern time on netmetalstation.com. Attention metalheads, we all want to return to concert venues soon. Introducing Metal Mayhem ROC Metal Forever Freedom X Sanitizer. This sanitizer product is water and foam based, manufactured with proprietary HYIQ solution. That's right, no alcohol, but more effective. Manufactured following FDA sanitizer monograph guidelines. It applies smooth without irritating the skin. Safe for all ages. Keep your friends and family safe with Metal Mayhem ROC's own sanitizer. Visit Metal Mayhem mroc.com or metalforever.com to order your bottles now use promo code metal at the freedom x checkout store for a show discount now now back to metal mayhem roc hey listen up now get that popcorn ready and grab a seat do it as the vernomatic and metal forever mark presents this week's feature interview exclusively here on metal mayhem roc We got a good one tonight, folks. All the way from the Great White North, we welcome Jimmy K, one of the founding members of the Canadian website, YouTube channel, and all-around metal connection, The Metal Voice. Hey, Jimmy, how are you? What's going on, buddy? How you doing? We're doing all right. We did have a touch of spring for about three weeks, and now we're back to the snow and the wind and the rain down here in Rochester. Yeah, Montreal, I got to say, the weather's been pretty nice. A little cold today, but overall nice. So we've been having, spring has started. How's that? It's been fantastic. It, I agree. We're only a couple hundred miles to the south of you, but uh, it's been fantastic. Late February, March, you know, we had a late mm-hmm. April weather in March. So good, good weather to talk metal. Right off the bat, yes. I want to congratulate the Metal Voice on celebrating 10 years of being there for us. Um, congratulations, and tell, Thank us a, you. tell us a little bit about how it started and the early days. <laughs> That's a long story. I'm going to have to summarize this as quick as I can. My buddy Alan and myself, we used to have uh, known each other for a very long time, and uh, we used to have this yearly barbecue with friends and we used to just sit on the patio and just go over metal album after metal album after metal album and for hours. And meanwhile, everybody's clearing that we've cleared the road room because everybody's so bored of us talking metal. And I guess that at the same time, YouTube was sort of like exploding, right? This is like now going back 11 years. And my wife just said, you know what would be a good idea? 
if you guys just did a YouTube show talking about metal albums, you know, because there nobody, nobody at that party wanted to listen to us, but maybe there's other people in the world who do. So, you know, from there, you know, I bought a bunch of equipment and uh, started filming with green screens and just, I've always, you know, I always wanted to make a bigger production than it was. Even though if you look back today, it's like a really terrible production. But back then, it was a little more cutting edge. I actually saw when you rebroadcasted the first show about a month ago. And you, <laughs> no, no, all seriously, you guys chopped it up like, you know, it was like cringeworthy. For the time, Jimmy, it wasn't that bad. It was, you know, props to you. It really wasn't that bad from an outsider looking in. So, well, you know, you have to put everything into context, right? Yep. So if you go back 10 years, there really wasn't a consistent, and the word is a consistent metal show sort of reviewing. What, what you had was back then was one-offs. Like the new Metallica album would come out and one person would just, you know, take themselves and put it up on YouTube. There was no sort of continuous metal show. People try. I've been doing this for 10 years and I've seen shows come and go and you know they try for one year two years and they stop because they realize it's a lot of work it's like you know it's like working at a dunkin donuts or a tim hortons here it's 24 7 non-stop there's no vacations and as soon as you stop you start losing audience so it's you know a consistent metal show that again there are some exceptions but overall there i don't think there was the way we kind of did it you know you did have, of course, you had metal websites and metal news sites for years before that. And there was radio and the internet thing was happening as well, of course, you know, like, 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 you know, like your show, like podcasts and radio and community. I mean, back when I was a kid, you know, on, on our, on our regular radio at night, there would be the call, the show called the metal files. And, you know, at 11 o'clock on a Friday, you'd listen and they'd play like King Diamond and Merciful Fate you know, Armored Saint. So, I mean, it always has been, but in a different sort of medium. I'm talking about YouTube now. Mm -hmm. as, a, as a new medium, it, it was just trying to find itself, YouTube. What, what's the meaning behind YouTube? How can people use this? Can you do interviews on YouTube? I got to say that. And as the years progressed, we started off doing music reviews. Then we said, you know what? Saxon's coming to town. Why don't we try interviewing Saxon? As I just sort of like, I don't know, I send out an email to the label, whoever it was, I don't remember. And boom, there you go. We got an interview. So then, you know, I bring the cameras over to the site and we do an in-person interview. And then Skype started taking off. And I started thinking, you know what? I'd like to do a show where the image of the person is there. And we're interacting with that image, kind of like CNN, right? Or those Sunday brunch panel shows that they have on TV where you're interacting with the people on video. It's not just an audio element, but there's a video. Sure. sure. And oh my God. And that's kind of like what we did. We're talking about like nine years ago. Now people, there wasn't even a Skype recorder back then. If you really want to get, there was these cheap ass Skype recorders I mean, recording the video portion of it. So what we had to do is film the TV with the picture on it and sort of Skype that way, even though Skype did exist, but it didn't exist in the way we have it today. 
don't know if that's interesting to anybody or not, but that's more of a technological thing. Like today you go on YouTube and you could see these zoom videos and people interacting visually with each other. You didn't have that back then. I wanted to create that. And if I showed you pictures of what was going on in the background, you had cables and, you know, uh, speakers connected to cables to big TVs and, you know, the picture going on, just trying to recreate that sort of news. And again, it was, it was, when you look back, it's, you know, it's cringy, but at the time it was, wow, what's going on here? Who's, why are they doing this? Well, well, yeah, well, sure. You look back at anything from the beginning, like ten years later, you're like, oh my god, it was so primitive. But back then, you're right; it was it was quote cutting edge. The only time you saw something like that was on network news, where they have a little satellite feed in, and they would have a still of the person, but the audio pumped yeah. in, and and it, and it wasn't only from the from our perspective; it was from the artist's perspective. Artists are probably the least technology savvy people. They're, they concentrate on music. They, they concentrate on audio. But they're not into Skyping their faces. There, there were a few, don't get me wrong. But as a general rule of thumb back then, they weren't used to that sort of technology where they're going to Skype in their interview with a video feed. So, you know, there was a lot of coaching the artists too. So. It was a big job. It was a big job. But it was worth it. You know, it was cutting edge, I guess. So you start the show and you start doing the YouTube. How quickly did the technology and the advancement of social media and all that escalate the brand? Well, here's the, the I'll tell you this. I uploaded the first Metal Voice episode, I think February 2011, sometime there. And you think, oh, wow, I got my video on YouTube. Now I'm going to be a big star. And the reality is I went to check the numbers and it was probably like maybe one hit. And that was my own probably. So the reality is, the reality, just like a podcast, you know, you do a podcast, you think the world is listening, but you got to work for it and you got to work hard and you got to, you know, do everything you can and use every tool to uh you know make it work and to spread the word and it's not an easy job it's 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 tough and that's why so many have dropped off in the, in this 10 years i've seen so many people drop off because they have kids they have families they have divorces and this is a you know you know you've been doing this for years now yourself yeah, yeah. you know that that you know you know if your arm hurts or you have a fever you got to keep going right you know someone's got to keep going i guess Oh, yeah. And it's just like it doesn't no difference if you open a pizzeria or any other business. You gain one new customer a day. You may gain three customers, but you're losing two. And you just have to expand the brand and uh, work at it. And let's admit it, Jimmy, a lot of this is a labor of love. I don't see how. Yeah, absolutely. Let me ask you this. Uh, what kind of monetization is the Metal Voice outside of merchandise generating? It's um, it's just the brand. Well, of- not much. Yeah, yeah, it's just, you know, it's just enough, enough to keep the lights on. That's what I just tell everybody. It's just keeping the lights on. And if you could keep the lights on, and then after that, it's all good. You know, as long as you're not losing money. And it's expensive. Don't get me, you know, like people don't <laughs> understand that. But 
you know, you need a new computer, you need a new video camera, you need a new mic, you need a new light, and it's not cheap either, right? If you want to, you know, the shittiest web webcam, well, you're going to get the shittiest speed, right? So you have the shittiest internet, you're going to get the shittiest speed. So it's expensive. So as long as you keep the lights on, that's all good. And that's kind of what it's been. There's no money to be made, you know, and if anybody tells you there is, they're lying. Let, let me get back to one point, sure. and I think it's a very important point, and I want people to understand this. It's a pizzeria thing. There are two types of success in business. One that you sort of, sort of, let's say you started a pizzeria and it suddenly explodes and you're the biggest pizzeria in the world. It's just you were in the right place at the right time. There was just some sort of magical connection and it just exploded. Mm-hmm. There are some YouTubers who just they put out their first video and they just happen to do the right thing at the right place at the right time. And suddenly they're overnight sensations. Then there's the rest of the world. <laughs> there's always going to be there's always going to be people in every industry that are going to get lucky with something. Right. They're just going to get lucky because they're right there at the right place at the right time. And the rest of the world, that's the 99 percent of us have to work for every like for every subscription, for every advancement, we have to work hard at it. And that can be applied to not only YouTube, but just in anything you do in life. You can't look at that 1% that just, you know, had overnight success. It's like bands. It's like, it's like a restaurant. It's like, you know, a business you started. That 1% will always be lucky. There will always be that lucky 1%. It's that what you do when you're the 99. It's about expectations. You have to live in the one like at a time, one customer at a time, you know, one follower at a time, and you go from there and you build from there. Does that make sense? Oh, I subscribe to that a thousand percent. It's the one hit wonders. There's nowhere to go but down. If the the old model building, like when bands used to, the progression, yeah. first album, third on a bill, second album, you know, maybe by the third you're headlining. And when you're building the consistency of your brand, you, you get better all the way around. And that's how you end up doing it for 10 years. And that's how you end up being, you know, a leader in what you're doing. Look, it's, it's the, my, my motto is work hard. Don't work smart. Cause work smart is for lazy people. Cause they're trying to find the easy way out all the time. <laughs> An easy way out doesn't work. And that's why people quit. Yeah, I have something similar in my philosophy. If you're looking for a shortcut, shortcuts are fine, except what happens when you take a shortcut? You end up getting lost. If you just yeah, there you go. If you just do what you're supposed to do, work hard, do the right thing, nine times out of ten, mm-hmm. it's it's going to work out, and it's you do it the right way. We're talking with Jimmy K. He's one of the founders of the Canadian website and video youtube channel the metal voice so when i'm looking at the metal voice the uh the lineup you have here tell me about the cast of characters you have here well it's a big cast and i'll just try to summarize this okay um it started with me and alan i guess i've always been that the 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 guy sort of the quarterback of the whole thing throughout the 10 years uh, but Alan is the the founder with me, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it evolved. Then we go, okay, 
we all have lives and, uh, you know, we need sometimes extra help from people or we can't keep the machine going. So then you bring in Giles, right? And then over time, as you're interviewing people, you be organically become friends with artists. And then we bring in Neil Turbin. We become friends. And then I travel. And, and I guess there's a lot to do with this success, too, is I start traveling to, like, the NAM show and to California and, and meet these people. And, you know, you add, I'm trying to think who else, and you add, like, Kenny from New York. And then you add uh, Stéphane Giroux, who's a... Uh, uh, you know, he's a news reporter here in Montreal and and then there's the parent and then there's oh my god David Reese he adds two and don't leave anybody out and then you start looking for film crews like Orlando he does camera work for me and a whole bunch of other guys and if I left anybody out I apologize so organically you start building like you built with your friend you know you're driving with your friend and maybe a radio show requires less of uh, a crew right because mm -hmm. you're dealing only with audio or i'm dealing with audio and video so it probably is one more hand there right and uh my big help has been my my son over the years especially in the early years and my wife too huge help like you know she's the one i'm telling her what a damn we're going to the metal hall of fame i'm gonna tell you this not only, I, 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 I always try to, even though I work in IT, so I've always tried to think cutting edge. And if you look back at the 10 years, you know, we were one of the first to always go live. A lot of people were really scared to do shows live on YouTube. <laughs> but I, you know, you'll go back eight years. I was doing live shows on YouTube. And, and the technology wasn't even there on YouTube. But, you know, and, and now we do live shows regularly, like, like a radio show, right? So. My my philosophy in life is evolve or dissolve. You know, if you don't evolve and you consistently evolve as a person, as a product, or in, in any industry, you will dissolve. You know, people will. There's just so much mind space. There's just so much time. We're not we're not fighting for money here. We're we're fighting for people's time to take the time to watch our show. And if they're going to watch a show, you got to make something entertaining. And you know what? I'll be the first to say sometimes you win, you miss, sometimes you hit, right? Like not every show is going to be great, right? But you try to make it more better or better, more hits than and less misses. Yeah, more hits will come from consistency. It's it's just like any other show you watch. It's like, ah, that wasn't the best uh, episode, but you still watch every week. And Exactly, exactly. What goes into the thought process with you guys in terms of content? How do you decide what you're going to do and not do? What, what publicists don't seem to understand, and, and, and it's fine because they're doing their job, and I get it. You know, I'm not trying to knock them in any way, but mm -hmm. in, in a month, like you, you probably have four or five shows in a month. Me too, right? It's the same thing. We have eight shows in a month. In, that, in those eight shows, I probably got 800 emails asking for to do something right uh i look for well I, after 10 years i pretty much interviewed everybody you know of course there are some exceptions so i'd love to interview that i haven't but in those 10 years i pretty much and actually i'm on my fifth round of interview interviewing these people so i look for new people that we haven't interviewed before i look, look for different angles just like anybody because if you're going to do the same interview 
with the same people that everybody's doing well, it's kind of boring because you know what the answers are going to be. It's not like in the olden days where you had, uh, you know, your a local radio station would do an interview, but in Montreal, but the people in Philadelphia never heard that interview or the answers, right? Sure. Because it's localized. Now we're on the internet. Like if you do an interview with somebody, I pretty much could hear what you just did. And, and my interview probably will have the same questions and answers. So you gotta, gotta think out of the box, you know, of course you gotta be promote what the, the artist or whatever you're doing, what they want, but you gotta think out of the box. I mean, and I think that comes with experience. You know where to go and where not to go and how to push stuff and how not to push stuff. Look, it's not easy, man. There's like friggin' thousands of metal shows out there. It's not easy. No, it, it certainly isn't. And the the flip side to that thought is I'll do show research and I'll get on the internet and I'll watch these interviews. And That's right. And you know what not to ask. You know, you take from, but then by the time I get to my interview, like you said, try to completely be out of the box so i try that's to right and it, it's so boring it's so boring for everybody the people watching yeah. the artist the inter- and, and you know there's so there's limitations you can't just go overboard either on questions you know uh i don't know i think that comes with experience i'm at a point i think in my life where i interview people where i pretty much say whatever i want to say and <laughs> well, <laughs> otherwise i won't do the interview like i don't care like well, well jimmy you gotta admit if you're if you're the the fifth time interviewing someone that's the fifth time you've interviewed them but you may have now you guys are friends you you, you hang out with yeah, them they come to town right. you may not interview them but you either meet them before the show after the show and you could bust balls and it's just like uh, all right that's right you know so and and then that just turns into an, a more authentic presentation when the metal voice is doing it for outlets yeah. like, for outlets like myself where we're still gaining our chops and trying to distance ourselves from the thousands of other outfits out there it's the know-it-all to not be like every other every other operation and try to i'm not one big on longevity of an interview if it's going to be 10 15 minutes let it be 10 15 minutes if the, sure, me too. A lot of times the publicists will say, yeah, you know, like when we uh, we had a chance to talk with Michael Sweet, Striper, mm-hmm. and the publicist is yeah. like, yeah, 15, 20 minutes at the most. And when my partner Mark was doing the interview, he goes, oh, Michael, I know you have to get going. He's like, no, nah, dude, I got all day. You know, you gotta yeah, take, take your right. time. Well, it's the publicist's job to put a governor on it. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, man. Uh, you know, Michael Sweet's a great example of, you know, he he even when he does interviews, he's 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 very aware of. He doesn't want to repeat the same thing in every interview. He, he's very aware of that, and he's not going to give stock answers either, right? Because it doesn't mean anything to keep repeating the same thing, right? It, it won't go anywhere. It's, but you know. Uh, there's also a danger of becoming too friendly with everybody you interview. That's the other side of the coin. So yeah, you're saying we hang out. All right. So now you're hanging out, you know, you're good friends with these guys and they put out an album that you can't stand. Then what, you know, it's a very, it's a, let me tell you, it's a very tricky position where, you know, they, they send you demos of their album and you, and you really don't like it at all. And then they're, they're hoping that you love it, but you don't, and you want to be honest and authentic. And what do you do then? Yeah. What do you do? Have so. you ever been in that position where you're like, 
I don't know. They, you know, I think you missed the missed it on this one, guys. Yeah, I do. And 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 artists, you know, they they put their heart and soul in stuff, and their egos are fragile, and that's fine. And I get it. And I feel bad. And I and I warn everybody before they send me any demos. I go, guys, you know, I'm just warning you right now. If I don't like it, I'm going to be honest. So don't 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 be upset. You know, and. That 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 that's the downside of being friends with the people that you're interviewing. You've kind of lost now that what do you want to call it? Uh, that honesty, right? Because now you're just sort of and a lot of and you'll see a lot of interviewers once they become friends with artists, they will not say a bad word about anything, and they'll you know, because they want to maintain that they're they're so happy to be in that world. Yeah. That's just what it is. That's just the nature. It's been like that forever. I mean, in, in, in politics and music and entertainment, it's always been like that. Let me ask you this. Even though you guys have busted your ass and you've gained a reputation, do you try to stay more on the fan side of it than the insider side? I don't know. I, I, I just, I, I think I'm at a point now where time is precious and if I'm going to interview someone, it's because I want to do it because I'm a fan and I'm a friend. So it's probably a combination. And I do interviews now, or we do interviews now, because we believe in something. I, like, rarely do you see us, like, I'll do album reviews when we can't stand something. Unless it's sort of like part of a debate. But like a new release, if I really hate it, I'm not going to talk about it. I figure, you know, what's the point? Might as well celebrate the albums that you like that are new. What's the point? I don't know. That's just me, though. Other people are, you know. No, that makes sense. The debate, the debate angle is the perfect platform for something you don't like. Exactly, and it's also legacy too. It's like something that's older, and yeah, okay. Sometimes there are new releases that we'll talk about, but it's the debate angle, and. And the older albums where they've been criticized so many times over the years, that doesn't really matter. Even the artists themselves, they don't like them, you know, <laughs> at that point, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> I want to ask you um, the whole incident with the Billy Sheehan comment mm. from a few years ago. Yeah, that was weird. I've had a, like, look, as you grow, you're going to, there's going to be bumps along the way and you're going to realize that every, you know, with all success, there comes, you know, nails. And when you chop wood, there's going to be splinters. And, (laughs) (laughs) but the Billy, the Billy Sheen is, 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 we went to, uh, went to meet him for an interview and he was gracious and polite and kind. We had a great time and uh, it was a great interview. And then, I don't even know how one, one question leads to another. And then I think I asked him, have you ever auditioned for Van Halen? And he said to me, or audition or wanted to audition or where I can't remember exactly what the words were, but he basically just said, yeah, three times I was offered, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, right on video, anybody could watch it. They could see the question, no editing, his answers. And then he sort of like retracted in the press when, that got out in the press, not me. People picked it up. Mm-hmm. And he kind of retracted to what he said. And he said, I never said that. But, I mean, it's on video. You said it. It's right there. And, and, and you know what the, the weird thing was? 
it was such a gracious time that we had. I mean, I was a parent and even parent couldn't get a ticket because it was sold out. And he even gave Perrin like a free ticket, you know, I love the guy, I love his playing and I'm really happy he let us interview him. And I guess when you say something, you don't realize sometimes you got to be careful what you say, you know, mm-hmm. as an artist and, and, and it could be the most innocent thing. And, and then you won't like what you hear back, but it's all good. A long time ago now, no big deal. Well, uh, Jimmy, over here on Metal Mayhem, we have a fun show segment we call the Mount Rushmore of Metal. Many have tried, most have failed, only a few survived. This is the Mount Rushmore of Metal. Now, in this segment, we like to ask our guests their top four of a particular situation, category, whatnot. I'm going to ask Jimmy K of the Metal Voice his top four people that he's interviewed in the 10 years of the Metal Voice. Oh, boy. I know. It's a little, you know, I didn't give you any warning here. But maybe four situations. Maybe it was you were somewhere or it was just you got done with that interview. It was like, wow, you know, that was something that I thought was going to suck that really turned out good or something memorable. I'll tell you my number one, or you want me to go backwards? Yeah, go four to one. Well, you know what? Maybe I, I won't give you any order because I, I, I haven't had time to sort of categorize <laughs> yeah. them. But I'll <laughs> just, just, just uh, share some cool uh, interview stories. Yeah, I, I think the coolest one was when uh, Steve Grimmett lost his leg. And I don't mean it because he lost his leg. I mean it because we were actually live with him in Ecuador when he was in the hospital and right after the surgery and his wife, Emily, she, I told her, grab, you know, your phone, we'll go live. And we were live there. So if anybody's ever seen that, that was like really intense. And I don't think anybody in the world had video footage of him live in the hospital right when he lost his leg. You know, I'm good friends with the family, so yeah. I had that access, you know. That would be, like, probably my top. Why did he lose his leg? Was it diabetes? Was it in a car accident? What's the story? The story was he had a, he's diabetic, you know, he's mm. type 2 diabetes. And he was in Ecuador, and he had a sore in his foot. And I think he asked his doctor, is this okay? But... And he said, doctor said, it's okay. And then when he was actually on tour, it kept getting worse and worse and worse. And it got really so bad infected to the point where, I, again, I'd have to go back and yeah. remember because it was years ago. Mm-hmm. But let's just say that it got so bad that he ended up losing his leg. It, that, 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 that's how fast it spread. And, uh, and they were like sawing it off basically in Ecuador. Wow. And like with a friggin' saw. Yeah. yeah. And uh, to this day, I think Steve is, uh, he suffers from post-traumatic stress from that. And um, he's a great guy, you know, and he's a trooper. I mean, there he is. He gets his, now he has his prosthetic leg and he's back on stage, you know, and it, it's not easy. I've seen him tour with that prosthetic leg and, you know, you, it's, 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 it's just an amazing story how somebody can, and, but he suffers from it. I mean, he, you know, you could see that it's affected him psychologically. Mm-hmm. But, you know, kudos to him and his wife. And, you know, what, 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 what a story. You know, that should be a book. And I think he's writing a book on it. So, but that would be Steve would have to tell you more about that. But that would be my number one because 
it was such a an awkward it was like i was reporting for some sort of news agency or something and it was live so i've had so many great interviews with so many people I, i couldn't even think of you know uh what my favorite would be um so many so many great so many great times so many great interviews and there and and i would say my second favorite one would probably be uh uh, randy rhodes the family of randy rhodes like i went to california and and when i was a kid and maybe you can relate to this too i was always learning about randy rhodes you know i mean i remember when he died i was Mm -hmm. calling ozzy as a kid and this mystical school called the musonia where Randy taught and Rudy taught and George Lynch taught and owned by the Rhodes family and this mythical place. And I got my wife and I go, we're going to Musonia. (laughs) And we went to Musonia and I spent time with his brother and, and I spent time with his sister and we talked and we became friends organically. It was great. And we did a whole piece and it's on YouTube called Rhodes. And it's what, it's almost a hundred thousand hits. People love it. And because my heart and soul went into it and, and, and Kelly Rose was so honest in, in that interview, it, the honesty of being in the shadow of a legend, you know, and sure. living. Could you imagine everywhere you go, every day of your life, people are asking you about Randy Rhodes, not Kelly Rhodes, but Randy Rhodes. Mm-hmm. That's what Kelly has to live with every day. And there's a lot of good with it. And there's a lot of bad with it. And the honesty of that interview was, was just, I, I just loved it. I just loved his honesty. And he's such a good person and his sister, such a great person. And we went back the year after and we spent time with Kathy Rhodes at her winery. And uh, it was, it was just great. And that's, that's the pleasure out of, doing interviews it's not the money it's meeting these people who sort of shape you as a um in your musical journey you know you've had your whole life that's exactly it it's the money isn't in this but it's the like we said the labor of love and that's the payoff to be able to associate with the people and the families of your your heroes, your idols, your people you grew up on. It's, it's part of your metal rock and roll DNA. That's, that's yeah. awesome. Uh, yeah. And I'll tell you uh, again, if you want me to tell you more, I'll tell you more. Sure. We need two more. That's only two. Bob Kulik. Mm-hmm. Very, very bizarre interview. I had, uh, I get a call from my bio- buddy Giles who managed Bob Kulik at the time. And he goes, Bob wants to talk. Bob's pissed. And I go, all right, let's put him on the show. And he just goes nuts. And you could see there was something wrong. You could see that there was a fight and he was hurt. And there was, I don't know what the hell happened. Restraining orders. I don't know what happened and threats. And I don't know what happened. All I know is that Bob was hurt and he was just, just releasing all that energy on my show. And I'm like, I was like startled at one point. I didn't know what the hell was going on. So if everybody wants to check that out, it's basically Bob Kulik giving Kiss some shit and his brother some shit and just saying it like it is. I don't think I've ever heard him in any interview go off like that. That interview was so popular. There were people doing interviews about my interview. Wasn't Bob, uh, well, he just recently, he passed away within the last year. That's right. That's right. 
Was he experiencing uh, mental struggles at the end? Interesting or- enough, interesting enough, like after I did that interview, there was an interview on my interview. And there's this one guy who said, I see all the signs of a manically depressed person. This guy is like suicidal, something like that. And there you go. That's what ha- somebody just picked it right off. They could see the signs because they go, my father was like that. And yeah. And just, by no means it, any disrespect or talking ill of the deceased. No, no, but no, it's, no, um, no, no, no. It's, uh, I read, I, I, uh, I remember that, that whole situation. Yeah. And but he's a funny guy. He's a funny guy. Any interview you get that you tried to get, never thought you would get and you got? Oh, yeah. 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 There's, there's a lot of those. I just don't remember. I think, God, there's so many. <laughs> We're in the hundreds here. Like, all right, all right. Uh, well, let me let me rephrase it. What do you think the biggest rock star quote interview you did? You see, that that depends on the biggest rock star. Oh boy, I mean, geez, Adrian Smith, Steve Harris, is that the biggest? I, I guess Steve Harris would be the biggest. I guess Adrian Smith would be up there too, of Iron Maiden. Mm-hmm. Was uh, that with I mean, was that the the new Kotzen Smith release, or was it before? It was actually about his fishing book. That's kind of the way you get these things. Yeah, you know, on a sort of like on right. You're not going to get it on Iron Maiden. They don't really do interviews when no. they're doing tours of Iron. Maiden. They don't need to. No, but nevertheless, uh, Steve Harris probably the biggest metal. I don't know if there's a bigger metal guy than Steve Harris. I mean, I've done Paul Diano like multiple times. I'm actually friends with a guy more or less, like considered like okay friends, right? Yeah. Blaze has had pizza at my house. I mean, he's eating <laughs> Chinese food at my house. I mean, Blaze, but Steve Harris would probably be one of the biggest. Uh, and um, Glenn Hughes. I mean, but I, there's a lot of people who interview Glenn Hughes. I think Steve Harris would be the biggest thing, yeah. Adrian Smith. Very few people will get Steve Harris. And that was on British Line, you know. Uh, that was on a British Line tour. So, but nevertheless, Steve Harris, right? Talking to Steve Harris. Oh, Dave Mustaine. That was a pretty big one. Some of those guys now, like you said, they don't need the press. They're not, you know. No. So. Dave Mustaine was doing the mega cruise. And he needed the press, but he does very few people. And what you, you know, like just like bands you organically become friends with, you know, press people and record label people you become friends with. So, and you know, you do good jobs with them and they go, okay, here's an opportunity for you. And there you go, right? That's yeah. just Dave Mustaine probably was one of the biggest ones. You won't see him doing a lot of press. You won't see him doing, but I interviewed him. I was like, I was shocked I was even interviewing him. Here's a little uh, Vernomatic fun fact. Uh, I graduated high school in 86, and I went to school mm-hmm. in Toronto for a year for at yep. Trevis Institute of Recording Arts. And, yeah, yeah, of course. And, you know, I have a soft spot for Canada. Now, remember, this was 1986, so the U.S. dollar was really strong back then. And mm-hmm. I went to school with a guy that I just reconnected with him the other day. He was uh, Spike Audio from Kraken, and I really didn't know who they were back at the time, but we were fans of Anvil because, you know, Rochester, New York is, you know, 40 minutes over the 
Lake Ontario from yeah. there. And, you know, sure. we got metal on metal and we were in the... So I mm-hmm. spent a year in Toronto, about 10 months going to school there, and I lived right on Young Street. The name of my... Wow. Um, yeah, right on in the Maples, which was on Maple Leaf Gardens. It was the apartment yeah. complex right there. I went to the record peddler across the street. It was a great time. And I every band came into Toronto, and I saw... You know, we, Jimmy, you know, like yourself, we're in the heyday, um, just the... The gas works. The gas works, my friend. That's, I, where the, that's where it was at back in Toronto. Well, this is where the story was going. My friend Sale, uh, the weekend Iron Maiden was coming to town for Somewhere in Time. They played two nights at Maple Leaf Gardens. I had a whole boatload of my buddies from Rochester come up, and, you know, we were partying all weekend. We are all Rave, or, um, Anvil fans. Anvil was playing the Gasworks, and, Ka- and Sale set it up where I was able to announce the band. So five minutes before they went on, Sale gives me the cue. I went, I said to my buddies, I'm going to take a leak before the show. And he brought me backstage. I went up on stage, and look on my buddies' faces as I was, you know, all right, Gasworks, blah, 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 blah. Give it up to uh, Hometown Heroes Anvil, the March of the Crabs. And, you know, it was just... So just so everybody knows Toronto was a famous metal club where all the bands came out of you rush and triumph and they all played there and Anvil it's closed now. But if you watch Wayne's world, the movie, because you know, he's from around there, right? Uh, Mike Myers, mm-hmm. you know, the, the club that they go to is called the Gasworks. That's kind of like a, <laughs> that's the reason why he named it the Gasworks. Cause that was like the club and I've been there and, we had a club here called the Mustache, and you could ask Lips about that, and it was like a famous metal club that everybody went to. <laughs> it was funny because um, we had Lips on this fall, and I shared the story. He goes, "Well, obviously, I don't remember it, but did he goes? How do we play? Were we any good?" I go, "Yeah, you were yeah. good. You know, <laughs> he's a good dude." But wasn't there two gas works? Wasn't there a? Um, no, there's two rock piles, I believe. Oh, there's yeah. another cl- There's another va- famous club called uh, Rock Pile. There's only one now, but there used to be two. Lamours was the New York version of that, and there was two of those. So I have family in Toronto, and I have family in New York, so kind of like buzzing around those areas and as a kid, so teenager. So it was quite the experience. And Montreal has like always been. And, 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 and I'll, I don't want to bore you with this, but you know, I got to meet John DeZula a few years back became friends and it was kind of like he was like you know his he was like the soundtrack you know the music of my gener you know our generation you know and my teenage years it was like quite the honor quite the honor you know and it's always been situations like that you know i met king diamond i would say my king diamond interview was big too i'm, I'm friends with andy larock and and one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet Jimmy, I want to share with you, uh, uh, you would love this. Up Down here in Rochester, I don't know how familiar you are with us, but back in the early 80s, um, there was a record store called the Lakeshore Record Exchange. Um, mm-hmm. And they started in the fall of 1980, 81. And Ron and Jackie Stein, it was a couple that started it. Their business model was import records from you know, the new wave of British heavy metal music. And the guys that turned them on to it was three customers. And those two of those customers ended up being the hosts of a 
turned out to be a promotional tool for the record store. It was a weekend radio show called Metallic Overdrive. And it was the perfect okay. it was the perfect storm where Metallic Overdrive was the vehicle for Lakeshore Record Exchange and the guys from Lakeshore ended up promoting concerts in Rochester in like in 80, 80 Exciter was their first show they they promoted. And all the yeah. band all the bands came here. All the bands went to Lakeshore for in stores. And Ron and Jackie Stein and the guys from Metallica Overdrive befriended Metallica when Metallica came to Rochester to record Kill 'em All. The ties and the history of all that we have documented on the Metal Mayhem ROC podcast with a three-part interview with Ron and Jackie Stein, and more importantly, Andrew Robleski, the sound engineer from the Kill 'Em All album uh, last fall when we were observing Cliff's death, he gave an exclusive mm-hmm. interview talking about the band recording Kill 'Em All here, all the shit that happened, hanging out with the guys. It's just amazing, and you know, and, and I think, and I think that's to the point that we both made earlier that you know you got to think out of the box, and shows like that are, are you know, are thinking out of the box, you know, like mm-hmm. you know, sort of like getting behind the scenes of Kill 'Em All, right? Versus you know, <laughs> robotic questions, you know, yeah. <laughs> with people that you've interviewed twenty times. And and the fucked up right? thing and, is that the the Andrew Robleski, the kid that did that. He's almost 60 now. He was a sound engineer student at the Eastman School of Music, which is world-renowned, that was located like a stone's throw from Music America where the band did the album. And that was his first project. That was his first project, and there he is working with this band from San Francisco that Johnny Z brought up because he was able to do the album on you know, on an arrangement with Paul Curcio. So, you know, all of these stories weave together that make up the history of metal, you know, it's just, it's just unbelievable. And, and I'm going to tell you and tell everybody this, that what I've learned that those types of reporting and information will last, even though you might not get the hits in the short term, these kinds of stories will are sort of like historic documents where other podcasters, when we're long in bed, will use this information and think, wow, I've discovered this information and now I'm going to put it in my book or this is the content. This is like the library that we're building today. This is our library YouTube or podcast, you know, yeah, that people will be using in the future because again, you know, that's thinking out of the box and that's, that's real content. And and I'll, and from my experiences, when I do things like that, like reports and like we did a, an interview with Max Norman, we went behind the scenes of you know Blizzard of Oz, Diary of a Madman. That kind of information will live for generations, unless YouTube shuts down and the content disappears. <laughs> but that is the information that will live, and and, and maybe it won't be ten thousand hits today, but you know what? It'll be ten thousand, a hundred thousand in the future. You know. That's what you, that's, that's what I strive to do. It's because that's what I want to hear. 
You know, it's the same like yourself. Yeah, we're in a minority, though. The reality is we're in a minority. <laughs> I know, I know. We're the same guys that when, uh, you know, Def Leppard comes to town, you want to hear, like, you know, just do one and two That's in right. its entirety. But so. Exactly. We're, you know, the reality is it's like when you watch Oprah Winfrey or any sort of talk show is the bigger the guest, the more it hits. The smaller the guest, the less the hit. That's just. You know, like this show, like, does anybody really care about me? Probably not. But if you had Dave Mustaine on, the numbers would shoot through the roof, right? My point is, the bigger the guest, it's just, that's how TV works. That's how YouTube works. That's how anything works. You know, no, you're right, but it's rewarding when, you know, I put this together and I release it. And I'm, I'm always proud of what I put out. And I'll always get something from someone in email. It's like, Hey man, that interview was so and so. That was really good. I really enjoyed it. Well, at the end of the day, it's passion. That you know, it's all about passion. And uh, me and Alan have always been about passion when we you know do all these things, and uh, all about passion because it sure ain't the money. That's for sure. The brand is the Metal Voice. Jimmy K. You could find it themetalvoice.com. You're on YouTube, all the regular socials, and we'll have a all this on on our show notes. Jimmy, thanks a lot for spending your Saturday with me. Yeah, thank you for your time. I much appreciate it. Okay, stay safe, friend. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye. Metal for Life. Thanks for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our websites at MetalMayhemROC.com and MetalForever.com for information on upcoming concerts, podcasts, archives, and all sorts of info. Please like, follow, and share with everyone, even your non-metal friends. Catch us next time on WLFE TV Radio. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship. The studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.